Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. on this Thursday morning. It is June the 27th, 2019. June 27th, 2019. Thank you for joining us. Please continue to support the efforts of the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project, which has created the Black Talk Radio Network, as well as a social media community for our listening audience which is btrcommunity.com. Listen, we can't continue our operations without our valued donors. So um, I will speak to uh, a message that I got from a person uh, from yesterday's program. They left a comment on the show that I did yesterday. And I I just want to send a special message out to that person as well as anybody else who cannot give because they are living in, you know, circumstances that prevent them from being able to. Um, That's why it's important for the haves to donate so that the have-nots who need the information can still access it. You know, this network is is to benefit everyone um, who finds the content to be constructive and valuable uh, to them. All right, so this morning or last night, I tell you my uh, Google keyword alerts aren't aren't working that well, or I might need to, and I believe I will. Um, I tell you, though, I get so many emails already. Um, but I announced last night that there was some big new abolitionist uh, movement news uh, to report, and. I mean, it's it's really, really big. We could see the private prison industry, private prison slavery industry uh, really take a hit. I mean, they, they've already taken a hit. Um, I do also need to update some information because I wasn't uh, getting the alerts on the private prison industry to find out that uh, two other major banks had already divested from the private prison uh, industry. So that's the big news that I uh, posted last night. I was on my phone and I was checking some news Um, the news feed and that came across about Bank of America being the latest major bank to pull out of the private prison slavery industry and that that was a huge huge move by bank I was just talking about Bank of America I was just talking about Wells Fargo just the other day um, I'm not sure what podcast it was but you know this is something I've been talking about for years and pointing out those banks that are profiting off of modern day slavery 
in human trafficking. So that's the big news that I, I wanted to uh, share with the audience. Um, also, there's some other news. So today is basically just going to be a general news day. I don't really have a main topic uh, to discuss. Now, before I get to that, I want to thank um, the person who left, um, let me see, concerned individual. Um, yeah, concerned individual left a comment yesterday on the program that I did about Afro-Christophobia in the black community. And they said that I really enjoyed listening to your program. However, at the same time, I feel a tremendous amount of guilt due to the fact that I can't afford to donate anything at the moment. I will not take up much of your time. Just wanted to thank you for the knowledge. And, you know, so I don't, I don't think that this person, this concerned individual should feel guilty about not being able to give. Um, if they're like most of the people in this country who are not in the 1%, uh, primarily um, black and non-white people, we know about the wealth and inequality that has existed in this country since its found, founding, and it's only gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. So, you know, you feel guilt when you've done something wrong. You haven't done anything wrong concerned individual. Um, you are simply a victim of the wealth inequality in this country. So, you know, give what you can whenever you can. Um, I have uh, been able to operate this network for 11 going on. It'll be 12 years in November with very minimum uh, donations when you compare it to the number of people who listen to any of the stations on the network, who download the podcast. Um, I mean, we're, we're talking over 100,000 individuals at, 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 you know, that's a conservative estimate. We've reached millions over the um, 11 years that we have been on air. So if anybody should be feeling guilty, you know, like Dave says, if, if you have the means to make a contribution and you're eating the fruit of the network, meaning the programming, but yet you are not um, making a donation to make sure the programming can continue, then you should feel guilty about that, you know, be, because like Dave says, you basically stealing people, the people on this network's energy and it's just not it's just not fair to those who would like to give and can't give but those who do give the very few who who do give so you know if you it, don't feel guilty concerned individual because you haven't done anything wrong if you don't have if you can't afford to donate then you just can't afford to donate you still welcome welcome here but I want to also thank you for your words of encouragement you know those help us as well when you encourage the people on this network to keep doing what they're doing for as long as they, they can do it. You know, that just uh, lets me know that doing everything that I'm doing is not a waste of my time um, because people are benefiting from it. So, you know, I just wanted to say that to concern individual and anybody else uh, in similar uh, uh, circumstances. And I don't want to really announce this um, 
So, but anyway, you've heard on Tando Radio Show a lot about cryptocurrency. And I came across another form of cryptocurrency that's actually backed by real assets. And then it also has other benefits as well. And I looked up, you know, the laws concerning nonprofits and if nonprofits can invest in private businesses and, and what have you. And they can. And so um, I have already uh, joined this network. Um, concerning this specific cryptocurrency backed by gold and you'll start seeing some promos as soon as I get some things that I need to take care of that will allow us to promote this cryptocurrency as well as some other products that will hopefully generate a revenue stream uh, for our nonprofit. So I'm just trying to do everything that I can Without taking great risk, uh, I did do some research. I did do my due diligence. So I know this isn't a scam. And we will be having, um, you know, the person who gave me this opportunity, they'll be coming on once a month um, to talk about this. And then you'll also have an opportunity uh, to purchase cryptocurrency backed by gold and you'll be able to exchange um, cryptocurrency for gold or or for dollars and you know you can do the same thing you you can use that as a wealth growing mechanism for yourself and it will also benefit the black talk media project so i i have long understood and and said that you know i understand that our target audience is on the bottom of the economic ladder and that I know there's individuals out there that want to give but are not in a position to give. And so I'm just trying to do everything I can uh, to keep this network uh, going by creating uh, new revenue streams to uh, fund the work. Because um, we it's a lot of work that I, I need to have done, but I can't do because I can't afford to hire people um, you know, volunteers, they can only give so much of their time. And, you know, I I am a firm believer that people should be paid for their work. So right now, you know, it's basically a staff of one. That's me, um, you know, taking care of everything behind the scenes, the technology, any problems arise. You know, I don't have an IT department. I had to handle all that stuff myself. And I fall behind on, on stuff, you know, at times I even get burnt out. That's why I wasn't doing BTR news for doing the live program for a while and wasn't putting out as many podcasts because of burnout. I was, I just burn out. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to say that now there's a couple of, um, a few, quite a few things we could talk about, um, today, but I chose some news stories um, to share with you. You know, you had the Democratic debate last night. Um, Tulsi Gabbard had a good showing, even though she had the least amount of time to speak. And like, like I said the other day, you know, um, I don't be looking for anything constructive to come out of these debates. While I did record the debate. I did not watch it because I was doing new abolitionist radio at the time. Then I had to, you know, do some other stuff. So I, I have recorded the debate, but I didn't watch it. But, you know, with all of these different people, 
I was like, I don't expect anything meaningful to come out of these debates um, because it's uh, what we call a Charlie Foxtrot. Now, that's the clean-up version of what we call cluster, you know what's in the military. And, you know, I just didn't really, I don't really expect anything to come out meaningful of these debates. You know, either you support people or you don't. Maybe there's some people that their minds are swayed by watching individuals give, you know, these quick answers to questions from the mainstream um, media. But here, here's the thing. You should be, you should already be informed about what these candidates stand for and their policy positions. And if they aren't putting out any policy positions, then that also tells tells you something um but you know it does I, I imagine have some propaganda value and i'm going to use some of that propaganda value um to uh point out something that tulsi gabbard said and and in disputing some misinformation about the afghanistan war um that the united states is engaged in also um illinois became one of of the latest states to approve Cannabis or legalized cannabis and also are going to expunge hundreds of thousands of records, uh, if my memory serves me correct, for people who were arrested on cannabis charges um, that had under a certain amount. Now, that's, that's halfway justice. It's not complete justice. I think everyone uh, on cannabis-related uh, nonviolent crimes should have their records expunged, you know. Um, I'm sure no one at the CIA who facilitated the crack cocaine epidemic in the black community uh, has anything in their record, uh, you know, of that crime that they committed. Of course, because they weren't prosecuted for it. Uh, Also, record-shattering heat wave. Uh, Climate change, of course, was going to be a topic in the Democratic uh, uh, debate stage last night, and it was just half the candidates because you got 20 people uh, that's seeking that nomination. Um, But climate change was touched upon, um, and this is a story that I I had shared in BTR community maybe 24, 48 hours ago, but I don't know if you heard about the record-shattering heat waves scorching Europe right now and you know people are are, are actually dying um also in India I didn't know India was going through a devastating heat wave with people dying and water shortages with water drying up um you know I do recall South Africa was face, facing water shortages in in certain um highly populated areas and you know, we cannot live without water okay i have not heard of any kind of inventions that can create water artificial water or you know they make art uh, genetically modified foods and what have you but you know as far as i know um there is no way uh, to generate uh, groundwater and we're losing. We're losing a lot of water all over the planet. So I'll, I'll play a clip about that and get into it. Um, let me see what else. Um, here's the story. Slave catchers um, shot a young black man by the name of Jamarion Robinson. Shot him 76 times. 76 times. Man. And the other uh, young black man 
who was in California. I can't recall his name. There are so many victims, it's hard to keep up with it. But you may have seen the video. We posted, you know, stories on it on blacktalkradionetwork.com. And I wish I wish whoever's in the next room would shut off their alarm. It's really annoying me. Y'all probably can't hear it. Um, but the young man who was sleeping in his car in a Taco Bell parking lot and the police, when he raised his arm to scratch his arm, I mean, yeah, raised his right arm to scratch his left shoulder, just opened fire on, on, on the young man over 50-something times. I mean, just an execution. And appears there's another execution that has occurred in Fulton County. Don't quote me on this, but I believe that's in Georgia. But I will pull up the details of that story. Um, also, the Supreme Court. Um, the Supreme Court has been handing down a lot of decisions. Um, some of them have, I think, um, upheld justice. Others not so much and may have also been, not may, but promoting injustice, uh, promoting racism. Uh, Supreme Court allows a severe partisan gerrymandering to continue. Um, so we'll take a look at that story. I'm sure they're talking about political gerrymandering uh, and how districts are drawn up, um, but I've yet to see a case reached the course concerning prison gerrymandering, um, which is something I only recently found out about. I had already knew um, that they take people out of the communities that that they lived in, and mostly for nonviolent drug crimes. You know, um, that's the majority of the people in prison. Um, not murderers, not rapists, although, you know, they have, have those in there. Um, but majority of people in prison are in there for nonviolent victimless crimes. And they take them out of communities that they resided in, um, and then they put them in other communities outside of the district that they live in and send them to prisons. And then when they get counted every 10 years in the census or, or any kind of government, federal government funding, it goes to that district based on the population number when people in prison are not really residents of those districts. So, um, but there's, you know, that's, I found out that there was a term for that and it's called prison gerrymandering. Um, also, I got this from Kwabana Rasuli of Clear the Airways Project. Um, yesterday, uh, he shared some information about a city council uh, is offering a resolution to limit degrading music. And I'll get Kwabana on at a later date um, to go into the details of this because I have stated we've had city councils in the past pass resolutions condemning the the degrading, uh, gangsterific, misogynistic music that targets our communities but I mean all, that's just words you just condemn it. you just saying you don't approve of it well what we need you to do since the FCC isn't doing its job in policing the public airways is for people to come up poly, uh, uh, grassroots activists working through the city councils or the county 
councils or, or whatever they need to do, whoever controls um, you know, that that jurisdiction that that radio station is pumping this poison out, this ear porn out um, to our to the masses, pass a resolution of, to punish them, pass laws or ordinances to punish them when they violate the FCC standards on obscene music and what have you. Um, so I, I definitely will be getting Kwabana on to further um, discuss this on a segment on a future program. So let me jump. Oh, also, let me give out the telephone number 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice um, to unmute yourself if you want to comment Um if I see you, if I don't see you, you've been on, on there a while, just, you know, say my name and I'll come to you because uh, I'm going between screens and I can't always see our uh, conference line board. Um, but also, um, let me not forget to thank Ross um, for his contributions to yesterday's uh, program and, and sharing, you know, the information that he had uh, gathered during years of study and personal experience um because again you know many of these religions um have common threads common threads common beliefs and what have you and you know as ross said and i've said in the past look this is these we're talking about beliefs and we're talking about people's personal relationship with whoever the supreme deity that they believe in. What's the point of arguing with each other about who's right, who's incorrect, and all this and that? Again, if you if it, what you're practicing isn't producing justice, then you you might want to consider practicing something else. If it's not pra- uh, promoting justice, all right. So let me get into this story about Bank of America. I've put out memes over the years identifying the six six major banks that make private prisons possible. Um, I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that these banks have been given to the private prison industry to run their day-to-day operations, borrowing money, um, also uh, providing insurance uh, for them. And, you know, I don't want to take credit for anything. I don't think that this is all the new abolitionist movement because uh, we're we're only a small movement. You know, we probably got a thousand, two thousand uh, members, people who identify as abolitionists and who are also, you know, trying to help us educate the public. So, you know. We've been doing this through New Abolitionist Radio since 2013, trying to inform people how the system in that area of people activity, I guess that would fall under law, um, as well as labor, because, you know, you're talking about prison slavery um, and, and economics. And, and so it touches several people activity areas. And, you know, the, any victory is worth celebrating, no matter how big or how how small, but I say this is a a major um, victory. And I'm just kind of angry because some other news on some other banks that divested from the private prison um, slavery industry, I had, they divested in March and I did not see the news. Um, 
Nobody shared it with me, so that's why I said, you know, this, these things have been quietly happening. Um, they haven't been, let's say, you know, major news being promoted by the mainstream uh, uh, networks and what have you. But, you know, I know about it now, and, it, and it's worth celebrating and inform you. But I'm going to give this, this win, I'm going to give most of the credit to immigration activists, okay? Uh, um, because it's con all, you know, some people just today, somebody was saying, and this isn't criticism of them, and I asked them a question, but, but you know, logical fa fallacies again saying, why should I care about people who hate me? You know, and I'm like, please, you know, tell me who which, uh, excuse me, tell me what evidence do you have that any of the people on the southern border seeking political asylum can't stand you? He didn't use the term hate. He said, can't stand me. What, I don't understand where that, com where that comes from. Do you mean, you know, are, are, are you saying that those Latino gangs in Los Angeles or or anywhere they may be that have targeted black people or individuals who have committed crimes against black people. Do, are, are you saying that those people represents hundreds of millions of people in the place of the world, that, the places in the world that are referred to as South and Central America? Okay, you know, uh, those gang members, do they represent that mother and father, that mother and daughter that drowned um, in that river yesterday because they were turned away fr from legally going the route that they were supposed to go by applying for legal uh, asylum, were turned away, and so they got frustrated because El Salvador is off the hook. That's one of the countries that has been uh, suffering from U.S. foreign policy. Um, I, I'm not sure if it was Nicaragua or El Salvador. Maybe it was both. You know, whenever they elect a quote-unquote socialist government, the United States, uh, through the CIA and other agencies, fund death squads to go down there and slaughter a bunch of people for voting for socialism over capitalism, you know. And, and so El Salvador is certainly one of those places. We also had to understand that the drug war is really a war on people and it has even created violence and, and it's the source of much of the violence in our community when we're talking about gang violence. That's what they're fighting over, That gang turf. Gang turf to do what? To sell drugs. And so when the United States imposes and forces these nations to, to make cannabis illegal, which is the number one... Um, um, product classified as a drug um that's the number one that's the number one uh product that these gangs these you know these vicious cartels make their money off of so um when you make something illegal you create a black market for it and you know people will kill because we're talking billions and billions of dollars there's a market for for that and the United States has forced these countries to adhere to the drug war and by saying, if you don't enforce our drug war on your people, then we will withhold whatever aid that 
you have come to rely on that you get from us. Um, and, and or or you know again in the case of socialist countries they they'll fund death squads and what have you, um, so that just doesn't really make sense to me. Um, but again, going back to some things that were stated on yesterday's program, I just asked that one question. Um, but I'm I know the person can't produce any evidence to show that any of the people that's in those cages, any of those children, uh, any of those parents. Um, nobody can produce any evidence that they can't stand you, okay? That that just doesn't make logical um, sense for you to not care about justice. And then, you know, just not to go off on a tangent, why should anybody care about us and getting justice for us if we are on Twitter um, expressing that we don't give a damn or, or social media expressing um, that we don't give a damn about these people. We don't give a damn about justice. We don't care if our tax money, the, the money they extort from us via taxes, goes to pay for the mistreatment of anybody on the planet. But then we want to say support this or support that that's going to produce justice for black people. That it, I don't understand that logic. You know, and, and um, for those that don't know, his, the Hispanic community and even some of these immigrants in these detention facilities have been part of the new abolitionist movement for a very long time, have been out there protesting them private prison companies because, see, the media might try to make it make it look like that it's only because of you know, the uh, detention of these children. Well, excuse me, let me back up. I misstated that. I believe that it is because of the photographic evidence of the mistreatment of children has caused a lot more people to become involved in shutting down the private prison companies that are involved. They have been targeting these banks that underwrite these immigration detention facilities. Now, how how does this connect to black people or any people that are victims of modern day slavery and human trafficking in this country? Well, it's the private prison companies who have used their tremendous resources to write laws, uh, for, uh, um, further criminalizing more people activity, to get politicians to back bills that create longer sentencing guidelines and what have you. And, you know, I'm thinking about Rob from Milwaukee who told us that he was in a GO group facility. That's the second largest private prison um, company in the world. So this, uh, we, those immigrants and black people had the same oppressor. So why would I sit up and say, I don't care about those children, those detention facilities and, and blah, 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 blah. But I want you to care about black people that's being locked up, though. That that doesn't make any kind of sense whatsoever. That is not promoting justice. We are in a, in a war of the oppressed versus the oppressors. And that's how we should look at it. So 
I'll give you some of the details of the um, the activist group that I feel is most responsible for this. Although I do know the new abolitionist movement since 2013 has been pushing this for to the forefront because nobody was really talking about the 13th Amendment um, in 2013. Nobody was talking about how slavery was never abolished and how it translate into what we see today. Nobody was talking about it. But then, three years later, we got a documentary from Ava DuVernay. Then that next following year, we got another documentary from Will William, I can't remember his last name, um, but he came out with a documentary pointing out the 13th Amendment. The name of his documentary was American Jail. And, you know, through social media, um, we've been uh, able to directly inform the public and get them to look at it uh, uh, through the lens of slavery. So, you know, I don't want to minimize the impact, the new uh, abolitionist movement, but I have to give um, the credit, especially with these bank divestments to these organizations that have been targeting these banks that many of us didn't even know about. Um, but anyway, this one comes from CNN. Bank of America, um, Bank of America will no longer do business with companies that run detention facilities. Again, don't think that these companies aren't detaining U.S. citizens, uh, African Americans, Latino Americans, Native Americans. Don't think that they ain't full. They ain't full of us as well. Okay, it's all it's interconnected. So uh, we are in those detention facilities as well. Again, you know, shout out to Rob from um, Mrs. Uh, Milwaukee. I haven't heard from him in, in a while. Um, he was going through some struggles and, and what have you, and I just hope that he's doing okay or, or doing better than he was. Um, so anyway, Bank of America will end its association with companies that provide prisoner and immigrant detention services. Why, why they just didn't say U.S. citizens, okay, that provide, what's the prisoner? Who are these prisoners, okay? Well, it's us. That's who we, that's who they are talking about. But it says they'll no longer provide prisoner and immigration detention services at both the state and federal levels. The move comes amid growing public concern about the nation's border policies. A spokesperson said Wednesday that Bank of America has discussed the issue with its clients that provide those services. While the bank appreciates steps, quote unquote, steps they have taken to properly execute their contractual and humanitarian responsibilities, it ultimately decided to exit the relationships. Well, let me back up for a moment. Again, let's not pretend like Bank of America ever gave a damn about some humanitarian responsibilities. Before this, before Trump came into office and even Obama, who uh, uh, deported and detained uh, more people than his predecessors, but Trump, boy, um, he's looking to beat Obama administration's record. But these banks weren't concerned about any kind of humanitarian uh, issues because we have been abused in these prisons. U.S. citizens have been abused 
have been mistreated, have been murdered, have been raped, have been forced to live in inhumane conditions that affects, as we was talking about last night on New Abolitionist Radio, ha- has created mental illnesses. And then the people that went in there with a, or might have been in there because of a mental illness, those conditions only exacerbate and worsens the problems of their mental illness, where they're more likely than not um, to uh, uh, go untreated. Okay. So it goes on to say, lacking further legal and policy clarity and in recognition of the concerns of our employees and stakeholders in the communities we serve, it is our intention to exit these relationships, the spokesperson said. Now, the Miami Herald previously reported that Bank of America was a financier of Caliburn, which the newspaper said runs a facility called Homestead under a U.S. government contract. The Herald said the bank provided a $380 million loan to the company and a $75 million credit line. The paper indicated Homestead is not a prison, but protesters said it functions as one. The miners held inside are not allowed to leave. And this just reminded me, again, how they try to be deceptive, these companies with their names. I don't know if y'all recall the story about the two judges that got busted for taking bribes from a, a juvenile detention facility. And no, they wasn't locking up immigrants. They was locking up uh, U.S. Uh, citizen children. Uh, um, and they were taking bribes under, you know, of course, under the table, but taking bribes from the Pennsylvania Child Care Company. That's what this prison Juvenile prison detention facility had called itself child care. This is child care, man. So I I don't know if y'all realize that, but see, this will also those type of facilities will also be impacted by these uh, decisions. So Bank of America declined to comment Wednesday regarding the companies which with. It had previously worked. Private prisons have been in the spotlight. Um, It says on Friday, Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren called for private correctional and detention facilities to be banned. Shares of private prison operators dropped following her remarks. So check this out, though. Obama could have killed the private prison slavery industry if Instead of waiting to the last couple of months, I think it was in November of announcing a policy to no longer use private prison uh, prisons, no longer contract with them uh, to house any kind of prisoners, immigrants or citizens um, or, or residents here. Um, you know, their stock almost went to zero. That's how how much of an impact it had. Now, what if he had done that in January? If he'd have done that in January of what what was his the last year he was in twenty sixteen? If he had done that in January instead of waiting till November, then they would have been done and over with. They we, we'd have been dancing on their grave of the private prison industry, but he waited too late. But also, um, we got to give credit. Um, again, and the abolitionist movement did put direct pressure 
on the Bernie Sanders campaign and other politicians um, to to uh, end private prisons because it became a whole campaign issue, uh, even with Hillary Clinton taking private prison money, but then not expect us to believe that, oh, you're going to end private prisons. And when she was confronted by a black activist about uh, the money she was getting. And also, what was that, uh, the chapter, the Black Lives Matter chapter, I believe it was out of Boston, uh, that confronted her uh, on that issue behind the scenes. And, and, you know, but people just didn't simply believe her as they shouldn't have. But... Keith Ellison, uh, who was a representative out of Minnesota, I believe he that's where he was uh, elected from, even though he's no longer uh, in office. But he and Bernie Sanders introduced the Justice is Not for Sale Act, which would have banned private prisons. So this is a combination of years of work. If you're one of those people who just simply think that you can get on Twitter and create a hashtag and just badger people into supporting policies to to benefit um, you. It don't. It, politics don't work that way. It doesn't. You have to first build up public support on an issue. And I was going to talk about this later with the cannabis legalization. Uh, groups like Normal had been around since the seventies of uh, pushing back against. Um, a drug war propaganda and having conferences and lobbying uh, people, producing propaganda um, and that changed public opinion on cannabis to now where a majority of U.S. citizens support legalization. That's why you see that happening. And so with these private prisons, um, these banks divesting, that's some work that did not occur overnight. That is the result of people putting in work in various forms over the years. Over the years. Justice does not happen overnight in a country built on injustice. Where injustice is entrenched. It's like pulling up weeds. You can't just, you you know, you got to get the roots. In private prisons, um, have been one of those roots that have uh, given us these uh, uh, draconian laws that have led to the continuation of slavery, what y'all call mass incarceration. Um, let me move to another article because there's other banks, although these are the, um, this one's going to talk about the three major banks and it is going to have an impact. The other banks are smaller and don't have as large of an investment in private prisons, but we need to go after them too. Just like I told you the other day, if you have money uh, deposited in Wells Fargo, if you are doing business with Wells Fargo, well, they're the second largest investor in private prison, uh, a company named the Geo Group. Your deposits help underwrite modern-day slavery and human trafficking. I told that to my mom. She left Wells Fargo. She joined the teacher's credit, uh, uh, credit union. Um, so, But there are still other banks invested. But Wells Fargo, to my surprise, div- started divesting in March. And so let me read this book from Forbes.com. Bank of America... In Wayfair, and Wayfair is not a bank, but you'll find out uh, what they do. Bank of America, Wayfair, 
join those saying no to profiting from family detention. 70% of immigrant detainees are held in facilities with a clear as day financial incentive to lock up as many people as possible. That's why they gave so much money to them PACs that were supporting Trump. Because he was signaling that, oh, I know Obama said we weren't going to use it no more, but guess what? There's a, a new person in charge, and we're certainly going to use private prisons. Um, so anyway, it says uh, SunTrust, Barclays, BMP Paribus, Regions, Fifth Third, Citizens, PNC, Pinnacle Bank, First Tennessee Bank, Synovus Bank, and U.S. Bank all remain tied to the industry. So let me get into this. Um, Bank of America Corporation, the U.S. second largest financial institution and lead lender, the core civic, that, that used to be Correction Corporation of America. And they changed their name because um, of the negative uh, propaganda and, and, and attention they was receiving as, as, as a result of people being aware that, hey, these are slavers. But so they changed their name to Core Civic. Um, but, um, the U.S. second largest financial institution and lead lender to Core Civic made a milestone announcement this morning that they will stop financing private prisons and immigration detention companies. This follows the lead of J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, who exited the second sector earlier this year on the heels of mass public pressure from grassroots activists, shareholders, investors, and political leaders under the rallying, rallying call of Hashtag families belong together. We have decided to exit the relationship, said both of Vice Chairman and Funicane in a statement to Bloomberg today. We've done our due diligence that we said we would do at the annual meeting, and this is the decision we've made. Now, again, there is one specific um, organization, but I think it was a coalition of organizations that were that created this hashtag and were targeting um, bank presidents, shareholders, uh, or, or board members, and what have you. And they're described as the largest coalition of activists um, that are on Twitter. They have the largest following. And so they created this hashtag, Families Belong Together, and that's the result of J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, and now Bank of America. The largest banks in the United States were forced by public pressure, negative, uh, negative publicity, and being linked to modern-day slavery and human trafficking. It forced them to divest. So, again, this has been a collaboration of people from different backgrounds, um, you know, I'm sure some of these activists all have different religious beliefs, you know, all of them not Christian, all of them not Muslim. I'm sure some of them is atheists. Um, you know, I have long known that the Hispanic community has been a major contributor to the new abolitionist movement. Um, you know, they was down there in Florida in Boca Raton, uh, uh, protesting at the GO group headquarters and what have you. 
Um, and so, you know, this this is a collective victory. No one group, no one individual gets this victory. Now, let me let me also put it this way as well. If you want to know, if you was asking black people why they care about um, um, people who don't look like us being mistreated, well, that's because that's because number one, I, I can't speak for everybody, but for number one, I believe I believe in practicing justice, and justice doesn't depend on a person's skin color. If I see wrong, I'm gonna call it out. If it's in my power to bring an end to that harm, then I'm gonna do what's in my power. You know why? It's called reaping what you sow. So if I want somebody to help me down the road, I need to sow some seeds to help somebody else today. And I know that's a spiritual principle, but that's also a principle of nature. Sowing seeds and reaping the harvest. What will your harvest be? Will it be injustice because you are planting seeds of injustice? Or is it going to be justice because you stand for justice and been planting those seeds? So, um, you know, I understand how that white supremacy and slavery are global. And its primary victims is non-white people. Now, it goes on to say, beyond financing, and I know I'm coming up to the top of the hour, uh, beyond financing, Geo Group and Core Civic, the most recognizable names in the private prison game, it's not a game. Okay, it's not a game. It's uh, it, it's 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 human rights crimes, you know. So, but anyway, um, names in the private prison industry documents filed in August with the Securities and Exchange Commission demonstrate that Bank of America provided a three hundred and eighty million dollar loan to Caliburn, Caliburn, as well as seventy five million in a revolving uh, credit line. So that's just more information uh, that comes from the other article I already shared. And guess how much they were getting paid. Now you think about this now. If you saw the headlines in yesterday where people were trying to take diapers, toothbrushes, and toothpaste to some of them uh, detention facilities holding children, you know, to provide them with basic necessities that they weren't being provided with. Guess how much these detention facilities are getting per child? Seven hundred and fifty dollars a day per per child. Seven hundred and fifty dollars a day. What are they doing with that money? Well, we know what they is going in their bank accounts. And we were talking about it on New Abolitionist Radio last night about, you know, uh, um, our people in prison, um, U.S. citizens in prison, black people in prison, because that's what we mainly focus on, because they're the biggest victims of how uh, programs have not been funded to help prisoners, whether we're talking about mental health care, whether we're talking about recreational um, things, programs, whether we're talking about something as simple as a board games and what ha- and they were, and then when money has been set aside, they then will take that money and misdirect it towards providing uh, overtime for prison guards. So all, all injustice is injustice. It's all connected because it's the same oppressor. 
This decision comes during a week of particularly heightened attention to the migrant crisis at our southern border. Many have winced at the image circulating social media of a Salvadorian father and daughter, 25-year-old Oscar Alberto Martinez Ramirez and two-year-old Angie Valeria, who drowned trying to enter the U.S. with hopes of a better life. Um, They were from um, El Salvador, okay? A very violent country, again, due to U.S. foreign policy. A lot of gangs run that country. Um, Exposure of poor conditions in detention centers and the graphic treatment of migrant children has sparked debate and outrage in the U.S. and beyond about the ways in which we not only allow, but actually profit from the suffering of asylum seekers. And again, um, Mr. Ramirez first tried to do it the way that they laid out the legal process to do it. And he was turned away because of Donald Trump's policies. So um, this is good news and it impacts us all. You may, some of you may be looking at this as, oh, it's only going to benefit, you know, those immigrant children. Uh, No, it's not. We got children, U.S. citizens in detention facilities run by private companies. We got adults in private prison, private prisons under horrific conditions. Some of the stories coming out of some of these uh, uh, prisons for adults, um, for for U.S. citizens having gladiator fights, the the, uh, um, guards making the prisoners fight each other in gladiator style uh, uh, combat. excuse me gladiator style combat taking bets and stuff now let me also say this I know from my brother being a victim of prison slavery my younger brother um, when I would visit him in prison you had a lot of black prison guards a lot of African Americans in prison matter of fact our guest on New Abolitionist Radio last night, a black man, his daughter works in a prison here. Uh, she works in one in Georgia. Um, so I'm like, what if, because Wayfair, I didn't get to Wayfair. Wayfair is a company that makes furniture that goes into prison. And their employees did a walkout. Let me, let me share this. Let me back up a minute. Both the BOFA or Bank of America timing also corresponds with another pressure point today. What many are referring to as the Wayfair walkout. Hashtag Wayfair walkout. Workers of Wayfair, the e-commerce giant with the catchy jingle, are walking out of the company's back bay offices today in protest of the company's decision to sell furniture to operators of facilities for migrant children detained at the border. Their letter to management cites an order of $200,000 worth of bedroom furniture for a facility that will be outfitted to detain up to 3,000 migrant children seeking legal asylum in the United States. United States and leaked audio attained by the Atlantic. The company's co-founder and chief technology officer, Steve Conan, uh, struggled to defend the prison relationship to his employees, though ultimately rejecting their demands to cut ties. I mean, we're not a political entity. We're not trying to take a political side in this. When asked whether their team that handles large corporate and government orders had a code of ethics, 
uh, Conan responded, we should think about a code of ethics. And I think that's something as a company that we should have a conversation around. We should put together. We should put some thought into that. So in other words, no, we don't have a code of ethics. We don't. What's that? <laughs> well, what's code of ethics? What, what is that? Uh, we don't know what that is. No, we don't have one. So, you know, we ain't got a problem with profiting off the enslavement and human trafficking of human beings. But their employees would not take no for an answer, so they did a walkout. Now, let me let me let me say this though. We could shut down the private prison industry. I'm talking to my black brothers and sisters right now. I'm not talking to, to my uh Hispanic allies, my white allies, or or Asian allies, because we do have those um, um, in the new abolitionist movement. I'm speaking to my black allies because it's true that you point out that we are the most impacted by this. But you know another thing? A lot of these prisons also employ a lot of us. Where is our boycott? Where's our walkout? Where, Where are all the black guards and COs walking off the job because there's no code of ethics in these prisons. Where Where is that? The system can't operate. As, and, and Dave, I do give Dave, at first I didn't understand where Dave or Tando Radio Show was coming from, but I understand it. Now, you're giving your energy to something. This system can't function without us participating. I get what he's saying on that. When we talk about a lot of us, nah, I shouldn't say a lot of us, some of us don't want to talk about U.S. uh, uh, immigration policy and connected to U.S. foreign policy of white supremacy in these nations that these people are fleeing from. I had mentioned that um, to my mom's last night talking about immigration or whatnot. And um, I was like, but they won't talk about where these people are, why these people are leaving their homes and risking their lives and, and what have you to come here. And I said, it's cause of us foreign policy. And she was like, the devil ain't going to tell on himself. Of course, they not going to bring it up in the debate. They're not going to connect foreign policy to it. Okay. Because the devil uh, ain't going to tell on himself. Sometimes they slip up and they do, but you know, I, I get, I get her point. But my point is, as many black folks as I see working in these industries, profiting from these industries. And when I say profiting, I don't mean you got to be making the millions of dollars, but it's supporting you. And where's your boycott? of the mistreatment of your brothers and sisters behind the bars. Assuming you're not participating. Of course you're mis- participating, but assuming you're not in there raping them, forcing them to fight each other, and other kind of uh, other mistreatment that we talk about every week on New Abolitionist Radio, that we talk about every day in the different groups we have on social media. If every black person and they shouldn't be only on us, but if every black person, people of conscious, was to say, I can't do this. 
this is wrong. I'm helping to enslave people who look like me. And until these conditions improve, we're doing a strike. See, 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 yeah. What kind of power would that have? Well, it's certainly these uh, workers at this company, Wayfair, certainly had an impact by saying, you know what, this is wrong. And since the management don't want to listen to us, we're going to risk our jobs and we're going to go on strike for justice. So I, I think this was big news. I think that a lot of people played a role in this over the years in pushing us to this point to where you have the three three of the largest banks in the United States, probably in the world, who are the major underwriters of private prison slavery and prison in general pulling out. And they ain't pulling out because they want to. Because it's been very profitable. They're pulling out because of the hard work of activists. And, and so now we need to similarly target SunTrust, Barclays, BNP, Paribus, Regions, Fifth Third, Citizens, PNC, Pinnacle Bank, First Tennessee Bank, Synovus Bank, and U.S. Bank. That's still underwriting prison slavery and human trafficking. If you have an account a savings account, a checking account with any of these banks. If you believe in producing justice, one of the things you should be looking into now is finding a prison, uh, a slavery free bank to open up a checking in, in um, a savings account. Because if you don't do what's in your power to do, the very minimum, that's not asking you to go walk in the hot sun in a protest. That's not asking you to do anything other than find another bank. If you can't do that, then I don't need to hear you talking about our suffering. Because you ain't even willing to do the minimum amount to end this suffering or, or, to, or to do harm to the system that's harming us. Faith without works is dead. Words without putting in the work is dead. Meaning nothing comes of it. You just running your mouth. And running your mouth ain't getting the job done by itself. Yeah, there's importance in educating and informing people, but simply complaining and not doing what you can do and your power to do to, to end the system or any element of the system, then you know what? You you just a complainer, man. You are not you are not a doer. You're just a complainer. That's what you do. You complain. But you don't try to solve any other problems. So I, I thought this was big news, man, and I'm I'm so glad. Um because though that's gonna do some major damage to this industry. The industry that spent a billion dollars to elect Donald Trump. The in, the industry that has been behind writing a lot of this legislation. Why do you think Joe Biden, and, and to the uh, person I talked to yesterday, I said I was going to cover Joe Biden today. There's more information. Um, I didn't really have time to go into that. 
but I'll do it tomorrow. We'll get into Joe Biden. But that, that's why Joe Biden has protected Wall Street. That's why Joe Biden wrote most of that, that uh, uh, mass incarceration legislation. That's why. Because of this industry. So, you know, I, I just want to just thank everybody who made that possible, man. That's going to have a major impact on this industry now. Um, I do want to move on to some other stories. I, I see that we don't have um, anybody who uh, wants to comment, but um, let's say, again, we celebrate victories when they occur, but we also recognize the war is not over, so don't get carried away because there's still plenty of work to do. But I, um, uh, my throat is kind of bothering me, so I, I need to um, get some refreshment. Um, of my throat, I'm going to take a station identification break um, and play um, a music track. And as soon as I get back, we'll, um, I'll only be going away for a couple of minutes. But as soon as I get back, we'll get to some of these other um, stories. Um, those stories are important, but I, I tell you, that's, that's not as important to me as um, ending prison slavery. I, I don't know, maybe climate change, because we're then we're talking about the end of the planet. Um, or life on the planet. So, you know, that's pretty important, too. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc., where they practice and profit from legalized slavery brought on by the 13th Amendment at, at the conclusion of the Civil War. And we need to repeal and replace that amendment and um, do everything we can to end this this despicable uh, practice. So we'll be back on the other side. Um, and that's a gentleman who has been uh, around uh, progressive uh, circles for many years. He's been an activist for uh, more years than many of well, as many years as many of us have been alive, more years than some of us have been alive. Um, I, the re most remarkable thing to me that I know that this gentleman has done was uh, he introduced to the television audience uh, for the first time the Zabruder film regarding the Kennedy assassination on a Dick Cavett talk show, and we'll have to ask him when that was, many, many years ago. But anyway, the person I'm going to introduce is going to entertain us here for a few minutes. His name is Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory, come on out. Patrick, y'all, y'all looking for, y'all looking at me come from the back, I came from the front. I listened to you this morning, sister, and thought about, had it not been for the civil rights movement that liberated all of us, you wouldn't have had this space. And when you think about how this system has messed up our mouth, how many PhDs you got? I look at my mother. What a lady. 
worked two jobs all year because she had six children so we could have Christmas. Christmas. You know how ignorant you got to be to work your butt off? Not for your children to go to college because that wasn't even in our mentality for Santa Claus. And when that black woman worked her butt off, she tell me a white man bought this dish. Y'all don't even know who we are. Think about that. You man, a Jew being dumb enough to say Hitler and the Nazis brought you these toys. And that's the big problem. We know all of it. That's why I didn't have to do too much to move over into this. I live around nothing but black folk. I didn't see. I'm 81 years old. I, we didn't have TV then. What even invented? Radio. You know how dumb you got to be to listen to a tap dancer on the radio? <laughs> so if I'm not around white folks, and the only white folks I see in the movie, I didn't know it was no dumb white folks till I went to white college. I didn't know it was no ugly white folks till I went to white college. I got to college and called my mother mom, I wish she was here. I saw an ugly white dude today. She said, son, have you started that drinking? <laughs> Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New Black Media for the New Millennium. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio uh, News. Uh, I tell you, <laughs> um, yeah, shout out to Sincere No Quarry. Haven't heard from you in a while, brother. Um, you know, um, very talented musician uh, who tries to put, uh, create message music, um, which is a term I created. Um, but anyway, Let's move on to some of the stuff that came out of the debate. Again, I didn't watch it last night. I was uh, doing New Abolitionist Radio with my fellow panelists. Um, shout out to them. And um, then I had to do the podcast and do some other stuff, man. Um, and yesterday I was just very tired, very, very tired. So I didn't. I just recorded it. I didn't watch it. But, of course, a lot of people did. And there is some news reports. But I found this exchange interesting. Um, what Dick Gregory uh, was touching upon there in somewhat of an uncodified way was the power of media, saying, yeah, I, I thought all white people was beautiful watching TV, and, I, and then I found some ugly ones when I went to college with them and, and what have you. Um, but the power of, of propaganda, the power of propaganda. So we're going to switch gears. Uh, Tulsi Galbert, um checked this dude on his war propaganda, uh, Tulsi Gabbard uh, is a, I believe, a congresswoman out of Hawaii. Um, she was born, I believe, in the Samoan Islands. And she has uh, also served in the U.S. military, and she has been very anti-war. Um, you know, that's a central part of her policy is U.S. foreign policy. Um, of course, the powers that be. Um, the war profiteers, the think tanks, and the um, members of the U.S. government, 
um, have certainly um, been profiting, you know, uh, from all of this. And they've been attacking her because she met with a side to go find out what's really going on on the ground. Um, you know, how can we end this? Doing a fact-finding mission. And even mainstream media, they, they try to take shots at her um, because, oh, he's she's meeting with a dictator. Well, I'm sure she's met with a would-be dictator uh, named Donald Trump as well. Nobody talks about that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, think about it, really, when in mainstream media says that. You know, um, when Zimbabwe was making moves, more moves for its independence and and what what have you and let's say um in, pick any country and they meet with donald trump let's, let's say china do you think is the chinese uh uh media over there saying um president uh ping met with z ping or what i forget his name uh met with dictator donald trump today you know what i'm saying <laughs> man so um they they really loose with them dictator labels or, or whatnot um, Syria was a secular, had a secular government, and whether man, whether the man's a dictator or not it isn't the question. Uh, let's not act like the United States is this beacon of democracy and freedom and justice, as the propaganda that they produce tells us. So I, I thought this was uh, uh, pretty on point by Tulsi Gabbard. So let me cue up this video very short. Uh, it's probably going to try to play an ad or something. I'm a soldier. I've served over. Yeah, that's uh, Tulsi Gabbard um, political ad, but we want to hear her comments, so let me go ahead and uh, let this ad run, and um, then we can find out how she checked uh, this other person who was putting out false information about Afghanistan last night. Uh, let me see. Come on, come on, come on. Okay, here we go. Your Congresswoman Gabbard, your, your thoughts on equal pay. No, first of all, let's recognize the, the situation we're in, that the American people deserve a president who will put your interests ahead of the rich and powerful. Oh, no, don't tell me they didn't got rid of That's not what we have right now. Uh, I enlisted in the Army National Guard okay. after the Al-Qaeda terror attacks on 9-11, so I could go after those who had attacked us on that day. I still serve as a major, uh, served over 16 years, deployed twice to the Middle East, and in Congress serve on the Foreign Affairs and Armed Services Committees for over six years. I know the importance of our national security, as well as the terribly high cost of war. And for too long, our leaders have failed us, taking us from one regime change war to the next, leading us into a new Cold War and arms race, costing us trillions. Foreman Mike, with we.
those two soldiers who were just killed in Afghanistan? Well, we just have to be engaged. As a soldier, I will tell you, that answer is unacceptable. We have to bring our troops home from Afghanistan. We are in a place in Afghanistan where we have lost so many lives. We've spent so much money, money that's coming out of every one of our pockets, money that should be going into communities here at home, meeting the needs of the people here at home. We are no better off in Afghanistan today than we were when this war began. This is why it's so important to have a president and commander-in-chief who knows the cost of war and who's ready to do the job on day one. I am ready to do that job when I walk into the Oval Office. Thank you very much. Listen, I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to go down the line here. Well, you know what? You felt, you felt like she was responding. You get 30 seconds. Go. Fair enough. I appreciate that. I hear what you're saying. I would just say, I don't want to be engaged. I wish we were spending all this money in places that I've represented that have been completely forgotten and we were rebuilding. But the reality of it is, if the United States isn't engaged, the Taliban will grow and they will have bigger, bolder terrorist acts. We have got to have some present there. As, the as, the as Taliban was Iraq. there long before we came in. They'll yeah, be and they there were, long yeah, before we exactly. leave. Well, we cannot keep U.S. And they were deployed flying. to Afghanistan thinking that we're going to somehow squash this Taliban that has say, been there that every other country that's them. tried I didn't say squash failed. them. When we weren't in there, they started flying planes into our buildings. So I'm just saying right now, the we Taliban have didn't obli- attack us on the, 9-11. Al-Qaeda did. Well, I understand. Al-Qaeda attacked us on 9-11. I understand. That's why I and so I many other people joined the military to go I after Al Qaeda, not the Taliban. The Taliban, the Taliban ahead, up was protecting those people who were plotting against us. All I'm saying is, if we want to go in to elections and we want to say that we got to withdraw from the world, that's what. All right, I'm gonna leave it there. A lot of disinformation coming from that guy. Uh, I don't even know his name, uh, and I don't care to know his name. Um, you know, he, he coming out talking about the Taliban flew planes into the buildings. And, you know, I am a 9-11 trooper and and I do not believe the official cover up story. Um, all of that redacted stuff. Um, what about Saudi Arabia, where nine of the so-called 11 hijackers came from? OK. Um, you want to talk about Bin Laden? Bin Laden was a Saudi Arabian. You want to talk about the finances of terror? Look at look at Saudi Arabia. Okay, so just just oh man, so much different information that gets put out there related to that. So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that. I just thought it was cool that you know she pointed out that this dude talking about the Taliban flew blank planes into the into the buildings. And then, you know, Al-Qaeda, I have a nickname for Al-Qaeda. I'll call him Al-Qaeda. All right, so you, I'll leave it at that. Um, Illinois becomes one of the first states, excuse me, latest states, not first state, um, to approve legalized cannabis and expunging criminal records for uh, so-called, quote-unquote, pot crimes. And again, we have to come up with a, a definition of crime that is accurate. A crime to me is when you harm another individual. Whether you're harming the individual themselves, whether you're stealing their property, where you bring harm to another individual, that's a crime. Somebody possessing and smoking cannabis is not a crime. It's a choice. It's a personal choice that person has made. 
that doesn't impact me in any kind of way. It doesn't impact me. What impacts me is the drug war. That's what impacts me. Anyway, Illinois on Tuesday became the 11th state to legalize the sale and use of recreational marijuana for adults, a major victory for cannabis advocates who incorporated social justice initiatives into the measure. With Governor J.B. Pritzker's signature, the new law is the first of its kind passed by a state legislature because all of the other ones had been done by voters in states that allow voters, if they get enough signatures, to uh, propose a law, put it on the ballot, and if a majority of the voters approve that ballot initiative, then it becomes law without any participation or without needing the permission of politicians, legislators, and what have you. So, But this is the first law of its kind that has been passed by a state legislature and signed by a governor. It capped off a legislative year in which legalization efforts sputtered in New York and New Jersey, despite heavy pressure from proponents. Illinois, which has more than 12 million residents, is the second most populous state to permit recreational cannabis behind California. Regulators will spend the next few months developing a system for taxing and testing cannabis and will launch sales January the 1. Now, I'm not sure, but this is what, what I imagine they're saying about testing cannabis to make sure it doesn't have any any uh, additives, chemical additives and, and harmful things um, in the cannabis that the people are, are consuming. Um, this is a major milestone for the movement to end uh, marijuana prohibition in the United States. It is the clearest sign yet that lawmakers are catching up with the people on this issue, said Mason Turbert, who helped create Colorado's first-in-the-nation cannabis system in 2014. A strong and steady-growing majority of Americans support legalization, and observers have wondered when it would start translating into major victories in state legislatures. Illinois just answered that question. Um, So, I'm going to leave it there. It is linked up for you uh, in my program notes for uh, BTR News this morning in BTR Community. Um, If you're not a member, please join btrcommunity.com, just $24 a year. Uh, The funding helps us to support um, Black Talk Radio Network and some other future projects we would like to work on in establishing uh, localized media platforms for the black community. Now, here, here's something I want to connect. I want to connect this to reparations, as I stated to somebody um, who probably isn't as knowledgeable as politics um, as they might think. And so yesterday I saw this person make a tweet just so incorrect, so uncodified promoting injustice towards children. Why would you get on Twitter and say you don't care about these children? Even if that's how you feel, why would you say that on Twitter? And then hashtag it with ADOS. What does hating on, not caring about the mistreatment of children have to do with reparations for African-American community? It has nothing to do with it. And like I told that person, it seems to me, I, I said, you know what? This doesn't make any sense because how are you going to garner 
public support for reparations, which stands at 70% of U.S. citizens opposed to reparations because of misinformation, because of racist propaganda and all of that. So, I mean, how are we, we going to get reparations if we can't get them public behind, behind it? Because, you know, the only reason that cannabis is being legalized is because of a decades-long effort to change public opinion. Now, it's politically safe for a politician to say, yeah, I support legalization because the majority of his constituents support it. If a majority were against it, then chances are that that uh, politician is not going to be a maverick. And they're going to go along with the, the public uh, popular opinion of the majority of the people in their district. We're talking strategy here. That's what we're talking. We're not talking feelings. We're not talking logical fa- fallacies. We're, we're talking strategy. You, if, if black people by themselves, African Americans could have gotten reparations. And remember, John Conyers has introduced that bill in the Congress for what, 20 plus years? 20 plus years now, you know, is being backed by uh, Representative Sheila Lee Jackson out of Texas. Okay, you can have all the facts of why they should pay reparations, but if those politicians' constituents are against it, then chances are those politicians are going to be against it too. Okay, because not many of them have the principles or the courage to do something not because it's popular, but because it's right. But just looking at the facts, just looking at the facts, we have to garner public support for reparations to make it likely that it'll pass. I don't think that's going to happen. Let's say the bill comes up for a vote in Congress right now. It's not going to be passed because there's no support, even though it has more support, more co-sponsors, uh, meaning politicians who have backed it than ever before, they still need more in order to pass it. Donald Trump, I don't know what, if it was to be put on his desk, chances are he wouldn't sign it. So then you will have to be looking at the next president and the next Congress to advance it. But in the meantime, we have to garner support for any legislative means. So it, so by you uh, just saying uncodified, incorrect things, like I said, I don't have any respect for black people who side with racist policies because they think the white supremacists are going to give you some butter biscuits instead of other people you think are getting butter biscuits or taking something uh, from you. I don't have any respect for you. I don't. I don't. I don't hate you, but I don't have any respect for you. So we have to create a, a public opinion on the side of whatever issue we're trying to push. And, and that public support is not there for reparations. And, call, and engaging in name calling, um, talking about other issues that ain't got nothing to do with reparations and denigrating those people, engaging in xenophobic commentary, commentary being rude. That is not, if you think that that's going to cause more 
of people to support reparations, then I, I just don't know what to tell you. You are sorely misinformed. Just creating a hashtag and bashing people. It's, even if the representatives who are trying to get it passed, you bashing them. The, af- the activists that have been working on this issue for 30 years, you bashing them. That To me, that doesn't make any kind of sense. What does make sense is that you're trying to, you're part of a operation. I don't know who's at the root of it. I don't know who's funding it, but you're part of a movement to undermine public support for reparations. Just doesn't make sense. So this is good news coming out of Illinois, and it's the result of decades of advocacy work by those who have worked on this issue. Now, also, let me get to the part where it talks about the justice part, hundreds of thousands of people, let me see, jobs, money raised by the new taxes. Okay, money raised by the new taxes on cannabis would first be dedicated to expunging about 770,000 minor cannabis-related cases. Expungement has long been a goal of marijuana legalization advocates who argue the federal government's war on drugs disproportionately targets minorities. And when they say minorities, we know who they talking about. That if these people were united in, in, in fighting the common oppression would represent a majority, but they're talking about black and brown people. Black and brown. We make up the, to combine, we're probably about 80 freaking 90% of the prison population. All right? So um, that that's great news, even though it should go further, but that's how politics work. You push for as much as you can get, but then, you know, to, uh, to do some good and reduce some harm, you may have to compromise and bring that number down. So, you know, I would have made it so that anybody, and I'm sure they fought for it, but anybody uh, uh, convicted of a cannabis related offense long as it was no violence because I mean those are separate charges they shouldn't even be combined shouldn't you know those are separate if I shoot somebody cause he's standing on my corner to sell cannabis um, you know um, that's an uh, what they call that that's an attempted murder charge or attempted homicide or attempted manslaughter or, or, or whatever so, um, you know, that's good that almost a million people will have their records expunged, which has been used to um, keep them out of work. So, I mean, this is a very long, detailed article. Um, you can please check it out um, if you want more information. It was published on usatoday.com. The name of that title of this article is Illinois Proves Legal Weed, um, Expunging Criminal Records for, quote-unquote, pot crimes. All right, let me move on to the next story. I do need to take a short station identification break, and then when we come back, um, I will hit these other stories real quickly. I'll tell you, time be going by fast. Um, It's been an hour and a half already. Um, So, we'll be back on the other side. Stay tuned. 
tell I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio, since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. Uh, I'm not going to do a whole lot of commentary on the remaining stories. Um, there are, is some work I need to get to. Um, related to the network, and um, so I'm just going to go through these real quickly. Um, Record-shattering heat wave scorches Europe. It's scary. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Um, It talks about record-shattering temperatures are scorching much of Europe this week as searing heat from North Africa overspreads the normally mild continent. You can look that up. Uh, Climate change is devastating India with heat waves and water shortages. I'm going to let you listen uh, to this uh, person from India um, talk about what they're going through, um, and and, and it's related to climate change. And let me just say this before I play this. I know that there are people uh, among us, even people that listen to this network, um, who don't believe climate change is real. They... um, they they um, assign the inclement weather that we're getting to the powers that be um, using weather manipulation machines to um, you know cause all this death and destruction of property and whatnot. Now, usually when they, you know, the heart, they can do weather manipulation, but not on the scale that, that these people uh, obviously believe that they can do it. And, but it requires uh, you, what they really can do is create storms, rainstorms. And so, you know, I am still skeptical about harp and I'm like, well, if they really can create, uh, rainstorms out of the atmosphere by using technology because um, you have to have um, the machinery. I did a little reading on it uh, in the area, actually on the ground that you want to impact or, or and do cloud seeding, what they call cloud seeding, which is putting a certain type of chemical in the cloud that is going to create um, the rain that you want. So, hey, if they, if they could actually do that, then that's a way to address these drought-stricken areas. I mean, they could have did that to put out the fires in California or whatnot. So, I mean, I I know some people. I'm not trying to belittle those people or or mock them or anything. I'm just simply saying I don't believe it. I think that climate change is real. I think just the way that that they say that uh, uh, they can manipulate the weather, well, I think that that humans have been manipulating the weather in an unintentional way. But now that they know that all of this pollution, which is pouring millions of tons of chemicals, harmful chemicals into the atmosphere that's eating away the protective ozone layer, therefore letting the harmful rays of the sun get through the atmosphere and cause the planet to, to heat up. Um, um, I, that that's We're basically talking, if you believe that a government entity using the heart program can manipulate the weather like that, then by the same token, you have to believe then by putting chemicals in the atmosphere, if they can do that, 
what you say by putting chemicals in the atmosphere, then how can you not believe that put that all of this pollution which is putting chemicals in the atmosphere is not causing this? So I'll leave it at that. But I, I you know, I do uh, believe climate change is real and it's having devastating impact on the globe. And I do not believe that there's no small group of people who are intentionally destroying the planet to get rid of people in the process destroying the earth that they then plan to live on. I, I just don't I, I, I don't I don't believe that. But you know if you do then th- that's your belief. I'm not on here to mock you for that belief. But let's listen to this. It's coming to you from the real news. It's the Real News Network, and I'm Greg Wilpert in Baltimore. A massive heat wave and drought are devastating India at the moment. Chennai, the country's sixth largest city, whose greater metropolitan area is home to nearly 10 million people, has almost run out of water. The city's drought is so intense that it can be seen from satellites in space. This water crisis has been accompanied by India's second longest heat wave on record and, according to the government, has killed at least 36 people. Other sources say that nearly 200 have died from the heat so far. Joining me now to talk about this heat wave and what India can do to address these issues is Shuvik Chakraborty. He is an assistant research professor at the Political Economy Research Institute at UMass Amherst. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about the water crisis first. Last year, a government think tank found that 21 major cities in India will run out of groundwater as soon as 2020. This includes the capital, New Delhi. It would affect some 100 million people. And there is general agreement that this crisis is being fueled by by climate change. Monsoon seasons are later, weaker, and shorter than usual, and there's been decreased rainfall in general. And Indians are also protesting in Chennai and elsewhere, saying that the crisis is also a result of government mismanagement. So how much of this water crisis was preventable, would you say? This water crisis is actually related with uh, climate change and the heat waves, which is uh, have ongoing in, now in India. And uh, some recent studies done by the Columbia University shows that it's not only the groundwater which is running dry, but the glaciers are melting at an unprecedented rate since the beginning of 2000. The rate at which the glaciers used to melt was at around 22 centimeters from 1975 to 2000. And that pace has almost doubled uh, to all around 43 centimeters annually from 2000 to 2018. Now, this, as we all know, is related to the climate change uh, and which now scientific evidence shows is actually related to the human nature and human behavior. Now, what the government could have done in India to prevent this was actually to reduce this carbon emissions which we are experiencing is increasing at a rapid pace. The Indian government, if we know, like has been burning coal at uh, from 2000 to 2018, it has increased the consumption of coal from almost 9.5 quarts to 18 quarts over this period. The number of uh, oil which has been used has increased from 3,200 barrels per day to 5,500 barrels per day. So the increase in the fossil fuel consumption has gone up tremendously in India. Along with that, there has been massive mismanagement by the local government. The state governments wanted to help them out. Now they have finally accepted the help, especially I'm talking this about Chennai, 
like the Kerala government is sending trains filled with water now, and the government has finally agreed to accept those uh, uh, help from the other state governments. But this crisis is a bigger part or is a bigger problem. It should not be seen in as a sporadic incident that the lakes are drying up. This is eventually related to the intense heat wave experience and the delayed monsoons due to the climate change, which we are experiencing overall. And so my suggestion or I think what the government of India needs to do and also the local state governments is that they have to do everything possible under the radar or under their policy structure to reduce this global greenhouse emissions and also to take charge of the environment so that the climate change and the impacts of it can be reduced. Uh, I want all right, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. It's like a 13-minute interview. You can check out the rest of it in BTR Community or go to YouTube and look up the Real News Network. Can you imagine this? See, this is why, man, this is why we need prepping programs on, on this network um, because prepping isn't really a big thing in the black community. There are some who engage in it, but the masses, no. The masses of black people in this country uh, um, do not. More white people are into prepping uh, than black people. And what what is prepping? Prepping is just a a term uh, that's short for preparation. And we need to be prepared. Could you imagine being in a city of 10 million and the water's running out? The underground water, the aquifers are all drying up human life cannot exist without water. It just simply cannot. That's that's a fact. And these people, are, the majority, the masses of those people in those cities, they're not prepared for that. And then I also don't even know how you can prepare for no water, okay? Now, you can, there are inventions out there like the life straw, um, I'm going to have to uh, check with some of the affiliate programs I'm associated with, associated with and start promoting the life straw on our network and, uh, and other prepping gear. And, um, you know, as another way to create revenue funds for the Black Talk Media Project. But the life straw is where you can drink dirty water directly using this straw because it has a filter. Um, we need, you know, filter uh, water purification uh, systems and what have you. Um, you know, we have to prepare. Um, but I, I don't know. And then I thought he was going to say something like it's projected, you know, to dry up in these cities out of water by 2050 or 2075. He said 2020. That's next year. Man. So what what's going to happen is um, that if they don't get a handle on this, and I don't see how they can in such a short period of time, um, you're going to have massive migration out of India. And what's likely the places that they're going to go, probably into uh, other Asian nations, um, possibly into Africa um, as well. Um, we're we're looking at a massive movement of people. It's going to be a tremendous loss of life. I hope that these projections are wrong, um, but um, I, I don't see that 
this man and the scientists involved have any reason to lie to the people um, about the groundwater's drying, drying up. We're having a shortage. You know, them people know what's going on. It's a heat wave. And um, that's just man destroying himself. That's man destroying himself. Okay. Um, some, some religions, um, primarily Christian religion, believes that the earth is going to be destroyed by fire. Um, you know, that, that's a prophecy. It's going to be destroyed by fire. Well, that could be climate change. That could be the earth warming up, heat waves, drying up all the water, stuff burning up. As in that other clip, the guy was talking about climate change in California, um, is, is why California is on fire like it is. Um, you know, that, that could be that prophecy, uh, coming into play, or it could not be. You know, who's to say? Um, but, you know, I, I just think that man has been on a path of self-destruction for a very long time. And it's because of greed. All right. Now, um, quick story on here. Um, this is something I um, just found out about another victim of, um, let me see, Fulton County. Where is this? I, I don't like it when they don't tell us the state that this county is in. So uh, anyway, um, Atlanta, this happened in Atlanta. All right. Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard had concerns that the U.S. Marshal shot a man 59 times while trying to make an arrest. But he says it is the federal government's bitter battle to block his access to information about that case that now has him concerned. Jamarion Robinson's death has grabbed new, uh, news headlines across the country. He was a young man with no criminal convictions outside of a traffic violation, killed in a rain of gunfire. It's like they're on a hunt. It's just so happened the other day it was my son that they killed, said Robinson's mother, Monteria. According to the medical examiner's report, Jamarion Robinson was shot 59 times. Some of the bullets exited his body, creating 76 bullet wounds in all. At the time, the U.S. Marshals Regional Tax Force was serving an arrest warrant on behalf of the Atlanta Police Department. Now, that's odd right there. What is the Atlanta Police Department so busy with that they got a contract out with historic slave catchers? Um, yes, the U.S. Marshal Service has been in existence since the days of pre-1865 slavery going on on, on uh, uh, human hunts of human beings and, and what have you. So it says the, the D Department of Justice, DOJ, which oversees the program, quickly cleared the officers of any wrongdoing. Well, that's not surprising, uh, given who's uh, running the DOJ right now. But nearly three years after the shooting, Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard still is not convinced. We've been asking for all of the evidence, the documents uh, regarding their investigation, all the rules and policies that relate to the shooting of Jamarion Robinson. And they have systematically denied us an opportunity to receive that information. Now, this is a prosecutor. You know, they, they call them district attorneys in, in down there in Fulton County, but this is a prosecutor. This trying to get this information about why 
the U.S. Marshals uh, Service used such excessive force to make an arrest. Now, what they was trying to arrest him for, I have no idea, but does it matter? This was excessive force. The department, let me see, we've been asking for all the evidence. All right, I already read that part. Uh, the DOJ claims it's not preventing Howard from accessing the materials, but proper procedures need to be followed in order to get authorization to release the documents. It's unclear if that has happened at this time. Quite frankly, I've never seen anything as horrific as this scene as this scene reflected private investigator Rashid McCall. He took the reveal investigator Rebecca Lindstorm back to the townhouse where Robinson died. It was McCall that tracked down the cell phone video taken by a witness that has now become key to the investigation. It was also McCall that found two more bullets under the blood-soaked carpet fired straight down at the top of the stairs where Robinson's body was found. More than likely, those slugs came from a weapon called an MP5. That's military-grade uh, uh, um, automatic rifle, uh, says McCall, who described it as a 9mm submachine gun. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, McCall claims to have had the bullets tested before handing them over to investigators on the case. Court records show at least one officer had an MP5 that day, but there's no evidence he was ever upstairs to fire it. So the bullets just magically uh, uh, appeared, right? They just magically appeared. He's the one who had the MP5, um, but there's no evidence that he fired it. Okay, give me a break. The initial testimony by officers involved in the shooting has been made public for the first time as part of a court filing in a civil uh, suit. So, I'm going to leave it there. You can read the rest of this on BTR Community, uh, but it is published on um, 11, the number 11, alive.com. Um, the last story that I'm going to get to, um, I'm going to hold off on the Supreme Court allow severe partisan gerrymandering to continue, but I do want to share this, and I'm going to reach out to Kwabana and um, see if he can hook me up with uh, somebody on the city council. This also, this comes to you from PIX11.com. City council offered resolution to limit degrading music. For those who have listened to, uh, listened to BTR News for a long time, y'all know for Man, probably going back to 2008, our founding, I have, uh, you know, tried to work with these organizations that are trying to get this obscene, gangsterific, misogynistic music off of radio stations targeting um, black people that promote shooting inwards in the face, that promote mistreating uh, black women uh, specifically, like date rape. All of this is being promoted. I mean, this shouldn't even be a debate. You know, this isn't a free speech debate. Hey, I, I hear a lot of people want to want to justify harmful content, in, including racist content, under the guise of the First Amendment. I told this uh, YouTube channel who was complaining about Google and YouTube taking off one of their videos or demonetizing their channel and then they want to talk about freedom of speech and I was like, you know what? That's a private platform. If if they don't want racist content on their on YouTube, if they don't want any kind of content that they think is going to damage their brand, 
They don't have to. That's their platform. They're not a government agency. So the First Amendment don't apply. Either these people need to read the First Amendment or have somebody explain it to them because apparently they don't comprehend the First Amendment. The First Amendment prohibits the government. And it mainly has to do with freedom of religious expression and protesting. Back then, they didn't have radio with rappers coming on in the 1700s on radio talking about shooting N-words in the face, okay? They didn't, they didn't have television or YouTube back in the 1700s where your Alex Jones and other racist people are on, on there talking about, you know, mistreating some black person or non-white person or, or whatever, just racist propaganda, so, you know, I am not one of those free speech absolutists because I understand the power of media. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to get Bob Law on. I've had Bob Law on before. Um, longtime radio host Bob Law with the City Hall with Councilwoman Inez Barron today to introduce a council resolution calling on popular hip-hop radio stations to change. I, I, I think we should stop calling them hip-hop stations because it's not hip-hop. Hip-hop is more than just music. Um, I even heard that breakdancing, which came out of the hip-hop movement in, in New York, is going to be an Olympic sport now. Okay, the art part of it, they're leaving that out. Uh, the facilitating of preventing violence it, it, you know, and facilitating healthy relationships among people in the community. That's what the hip-hop movement was about. It was about also education and knowledge and what have you. Okay? These are rap stations because they are rapping, and they're rapping about shooting N-words in the face. They're rapping about selling drugs. They're rapping about doing drugs. They're rapping about raping people. This should not be on any radio station, okay? Especially one that is licensed by the public. Barron wants them to limit indecent and profane music between the hours of 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. So they just going along with the FCC guidelines, which is good. You know, that's a compromise. Okay, all children should be in bed or at school, you know, uh, between the hours of 6 and 10. They should be in bed. So if you must play this indecent and profane music, put it on after 10 p.m. Eastern time. It goes on to say, hip-hop was born in the Bronx. The culture is now international, celebrated for style, self-expression, and sometimes criticized for controversial lyrics. The lyrics were not controversial when hip-hop was born. It's when when... People outside of the Bronx, people in the industry got a hold of hip hop and perverted it. All right. So it says, according to the FCC website, airing indecent programming at any time is a violation of federal law, Baron said. But again, the FCC isn't enforcing their, these laws because you know why? Because the powers that be in the government or behind the government want N-words to shoot each other in the face. They want N-words to stand on the corner selling drugs to other N-words, okay? 
Um, and I'm only saying N-word because N-word, you know, I call it N-word music because, I mean, if you got a song that's, where the N-word is used repeatedly, I might well call it an N-word music. So, you know, because that, that's what you prominently, uh, um, you know, uh, promoting. It's people that identify as N-words and then also to uh, cause harm to other people they see as N-words. So the resolution is part of the Growing Respect Us campaign. It calls for in the music that demeans and denigrates women. It was launched by the National Congress of Black Women. Yeah, we've we've done uh, programs this month on that. Uh, the campaign plans to put pressure on the corporations that advertise on, on these radio stations. The radio stations that market these kind of ideals refuse to play music by artists whose message is more life-giving. So that you have to be a killer rapper in order to get into Heavy rotation said law. All right, so I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. And he's exactly right. I'm gonna have to, um, you know, work on because I, what I want to know what's not being answered here is now you're basing this on federal law. It is federal law since the FCC isn't imposing these fines, and that also could be because we, our community, have accepted this. Under free speech or whatever, we accepted this this degenerate music, this perversion of our culture. We've accepted it, and therefore, we don't sign petitions um, to these companies. We don't call these companies that's underwriting and funding these radio stations and sponsoring inward music. We don't file complaints. We don't monitor the stations for obscene. Uh, content and then file the appropriate FCC complaints. So they, it, it could be a combination of, of a lot of things, but I I believe it's because the system needs N-words to shoot N-words in the face so that N-words can not only be put in the grave, but be put in prison. I applaud the work of the um, 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 black women who are involved in this and the black men who are involved in this. We need to take back our culture, but more importantly, we need to protect our individual communities from the harmful impact of inward music. With that said, I'm going to bring the um, program to a close. I'll be back on air tomorrow. I'll try to gather some of the new information on the background of Joe Biden, as I had mentioned to a person who shared some information with me that I would talk about him today, but it didn't work out that way. Um, and I, I will cover Joe Biden tomorrow. Um, Joe Biden, you know, the uh, racist standard bearer for the Democratic Party. With that said, recognize the fact we live behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc., a nation that's practicing legalized slavery and human trafficking, and we need dedicated individuals to become part of an abolitionist movement to bring an end to this, this, oh, this awful institution that has been infecting this society for centuries. Ain't we had enough? And if we've had enough, then we need to put action behind our words and, and, and bring it to an end. Peace and blessings to all. Y'all stay safe out there.